listening to The 10 Podcast, the discovery and design channel in health. Tune in with me, your host Matt Patterson, to learn about insights from the world of healthcare today. Great to invite Professor Anil Patel onto the podcast today. Anil is a consultant anaesthetist at the Royal National Throat, Nose and Ear Hospital at UCLH in London. He's coming on the podcast today to talk to us about specific elements of the PPE challenge and a design challenge that may be able to solve touch COVID getting onto the bodies of our doctors and nurses. It's great, Anil, having you on the uh, programme, on, on the show this morning. Can you give me a little bit of background about yourself and your role uh, at the hospital you work at and, and how things are today? Sure. So I'm uh, an anaesthetist. I'm uh, uh, a consultant at the Royal National Throat, Nose and Ear Hospital, which is part of University College London Hospital. So I work in London. I am particularly involved in airway-type interventions. So uh, I spend a lot of my time working with surgeons in the normal world, pre-COVID, uh, doing operations in or around the larynx, the trachea, uh, the, the, the head and neck. Uh, so that's kind of what, what, what I do on a day-to-day basis. So with um, with COVID-19 uh, and uh, the pandemic that's, 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 that's with us now, uh, there are obviously lots of um, levels of protection in terms of protecting medical staff against against um, contracting the nineteen against picking it up, and it's become really quite a, a significant issue as we as we realised over the last few months just how effective this process is, how quickly we can pick it up, and um, precautions that we need to take to prevent that and um, prevent healthcare workers from um, from picking up this um, uh, this virus. Um, so there are there are kind of various. A local and, uh, or rather, national um, strategies uh, around PPE, as I'm sure many of us, I'm sure you're all aware. Absolutely, many of them are subtly changing over over time, um, and there appear to be very subtle differences between different countries in the way they've approached things. So, uh, the UK PPE issues are this is no uh, great revelation. I, I suspect that the numbers of PPE equipment that have been available, there's been a backlog of those, haven't quite got it to the right people at the right time. Uh, and I think the government are addressing that and they've recognised it and they're doing a lot of things to try and improve that. Um, so, so, you've, so you've set out, we've, we spoke to other people on the podcast around the PPE challenge and we see the landscape changes day in, day out in terms of availability on the shelves and the reality is demand is going up. What are you seeing from your experience at, at the cutting edge in relation to how is that provision going? Where are you short? And what do the reality of shortages mean? What, what's, what's, the, what, what's the reality uh, as a leading consultant in relation to this? Okay, so in terms of in terms of on the on the shop floor, actually, uh, certainly in um, in our trust, uh, I think so. Things have actually uh, been managed extremely well, and um, the levels of protection are in line with national guidance. 
So we obviously will have different areas within the hospital with relatively different levels of PPE required, depending on the patient who you're treating, where you're treating them, and the environment that you're in. So clearly in an intensive care unit type environment or a high dependency unit environment where you're dealing with known COVID positive patients, uh, the interactions that you're having there will be in full PPE equipment. So the so the so the, I think everybody in the healthcare system is well aware of of the PPE requirements. Uh, I think most hospitals are trying extremely hard to do that, and most are by and large delivering that. The 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 real the reason that I'm really speaking to you is that I think there's one area. Many of us think that certainly our department thinks that that there's one particular area where um, there it appears to be differences between different countries in terms of exposure of face and neck. So what that means is that, for example, when we all look at the images in China um, and we look at the, the healthcare professionals that have got full boiler suits on effectively, they've got a, a, the, the, that classic white suit which has that blue kind of um, straight lines around it. Like the full hazard mask. So, so that, that, that sort of full, um, that full sort of suit, uh, that white suit with the blue lines on it that we've all seen images on the television and the, the newsprint, um, that, that is very clearly there in some parts of the world. Uh, it's very noticeable in China, it's very noticeable in South Korea when you look at the images from there. Uh, that doesn't seem to be quite the same for us here in the UK. And one area where I think that's important, so obviously in the UK, we have full PPE, whereby we are protecting our eyes with either goggles or a visor. We are protecting uh, against aerosol contamination with FFP3 masks, so uh, full face piece masks uh, to protect against virus particles, but particularly airborne particles. We are protecting it with visors and we have a gown and we have gloves. and So we have a pretty much um, a full body protection. But the one area that strikes us that's very different between some parts of the world and the UK is that we are not protecting the sides of our face and our necks in particular. Now, that may or may, that may not be an issue if you're not particularly close to a patient or if you're not doing high aerosol generating procedures. But if you are deemed to be doing high aerosol generating procedures. So that's the sort of things that, that as anaesthetists we are doing, intensive care physicians are doing, um, airway surgeons are doing. If you're putting something into the front of the neck, um, there are a number of issues around that. So the f- first is that, um, that the, the patient that you're dealing with, for example, during tracheal intubation of a very sick patient who is in acute respiratory failure, they will probably have a very high viral load, uh, which means that whatever they do excrete, cough up, or whatever secretions or droplets or material comes out, the, the, the density of that material in terms of its viral loading will be high, which means that the, the, that the environment uh, is more at risk and the, and the practitioner who's undertaking any procedure is more, is more at risk. And in that context, so I'm not talking about people wandering around a hospital. I don't think we're talking about uh, interventions where we're a, a, a number of meters away from a person. But when we're dealing with a high aerosol generating procedure in close proximity to that face or that neck, mm-hmm. in which it's clearly recognized that you need PPE and you need the correct level of PPE, which would be the goggles, visor, uh, 
FFP3 masks, gown, gloves, etc. We somehow seem to have forgotten that there's this little that there's area around the sides of the face okay. and around the neck as we're doing things that are exposed. And that is a clear difference, we think, between between some parts of the world and us. Now, the evidence as to whether that makes any difference is is not particularly good. So there is some data coming through from China. There's a publication that's just been accepted, which suggests that in China, where they have full protection and no parts of, of their face or neck are exposed, the the, the people who the, the doctors who are intubating those patients that are at very high risk don't seem to be picking up COVID nineteen. Right. In the UK, uh, there is some anecdotal reports of practitioners who have are doing everything else but may have exposed areas of face and neck who may be picking up or who are converting to COVID positive. Now, of course, that may not be in during that tracheal intubation procedure. That could be at any stage in the subsequent two weeks, mm-hmm. they could have picked that up. But there seems to be a difference between between uh, practice. Now, the, the science isn't hard. There's no absolute data on this. Mm-hmm. But just if you, look at, if you look at the images and you look at the imaging from a person who is fully protected with their face and neck protected mm-hmm. versus someone who is not, I don't think you need to be a, a physician or a healthcare professional to realise that there are exposed areas that are potentially uh, exposed and that could pick up high viral load droplets or aerosols, which could then be transmitted. So of the discussion that we're having, the reason why we're saying is that's the background. Um, uh, and and we, we, we wonder whether there is some, some means of, of providing that degree of protection. Now, in an ideal world with unlimited um, uh, access to PPE, actually, we'd all really like to just have the boiler suits yes. and just have the protection. And that's great. And we don't really need any innovation or any kind of insight into this, uh, whether it's that or whether it's some uh, other kind of device that covers the head and neck. I mean, we all have hats on, but it's really, it's this bit here, it's here and here, that isn't protected by the visor that goes on over here. This particularly, um, this is not uh, a particularly difficult, uh, innovative challenge. It's The answers are already there. It's just, uh, can, we, can we choose something? Can we uh, produce it? And can we get it out there to people? Because certainly all the clinicians, our department, and when we're extending this further as we speak to people, most people are saying, actually, if I had the choice, of course, I would rather my exposed areas are protected. Uh, so this, I don't think this is this is not a criticism of the existing PPE. It's a supplementation of the existing PPE. So there is a clear opportunity for a design solution to plug that gap, so to speak. It's not basically taking on board the full boiler suit, but that would be preferable. But the reality check is there's potentially going to be the Excel Centre or the Nightingale Hospital with thousands of people in that space, thousands of people on... Uh, ventilators with tough conditions like proning and multiple people working to do highly complicated activities that may aerosol if things go wrong so you want as much protection as possible how if i'm right in framing that for our design community it's not a case of replacing all we don't have it's like there is a gap that needs to be filled and i guess they could see that gap in different ways one of the things in the conversation that was we had before was about the potential this sort of hajib type approach of a a net coverage could you tell us a bit more about the conversations you've had with your colleagues around what that coverage might look like uh, if it was successful uh, as a as a prototype sure so this i mean there's different levels of of, of protection that we can have so um 
So one would be that you have some kind of uh, uh, head covering that then just wraps around uh, the, the PP3 mask. And so you really just have some exposed area of the eyes, uh, which you then either place goggles over or you have a visor over. Personally, I think you should have goggles and a visor because material can theoretically still get in underneath the visor, but that's debatable. Uh, but that, that's, that's what I would prefer. Um, so the first thing is you could have something that comes over and that protects now, the, the, as, as I'm sure you're all aware, the real challenge with all of this is actually the uh, not the draping on, the donning procedure, it's the draping off, the doffing procedure. So whatever we put on our heads, uh, whether it be a mask, whether it be goggles, whether it be a visor, whether it be whatever this um, protection is, there has to be a design solution that allows that to be taken off seamlessly without contaminating oneself or the environment. Uh, so that's a, that's, a, that's a very important. Doffing procedure, I think, uh, I'm sure you're all well aware, that is critical to this whole, this whole PPE uh, protection. So the ways that that can be done are, we could have something that drapes over, that is then perhaps you have um, uh, something that wraps over and wraps over, that when you take it off, you take it off and you just peel it off. So that's one way. Now, we uh, obviously that, uh, there is still the risk of contamination from doffing. So I'm sure there are some very clever design solutions to that. Or it could simply be, another way of looking at it would simply be, as the Chinese have done, is that they effectively have, they put their hat on, or they put their boiler suit on, they put their uh, goggles on, they put their FFP3 mask on. They then gown up to have a second layer of protection with two pairs of gloves or three pairs of gloves. And then they have a hood. So it's literally just a hood that just comes over and drapes over everything with a clear plastic um, uh, shield that provides protection. So you're then inside effectively a tent. Now, that uh, obviously will provide protection. The downsides of that are that you can get, uh, and I've tried it with different tools and different devices, and, uh, and you can get some, you get sort of steaming uh, condensation effectively, understandably, because the airflow isn't there. The solution to that is to use PAPR sets of equipment which push in purified air, but that's a uh, much more complex um, system. Uh, I think uh, that's it's probably unrealistic to, to expect that to come in for widespread use in the short time span that we have. So really the, 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 the options are we put something over or you have something integrated that then protects and the key is to its, its removal. And how long are we talking about wearing these full kits for? Is this for a full shift? You'd wear this, you put it on at the start, and take it off at the end. What would the what would the wear time be? So when people are thinking about this in terms of design, sure. So the uh, so the, this is being driven by us as anaesthetists that where we are doing short procedures during high viral load exposure, tracheal intubation, tracheostomy, etc. So that's that procedure could be an hour, could be two hours. Um, if if there is a simple solution to protect side of face, for example, for a, a nurse that's looking after a patient who is coughing and has a high viral load, then uh, that could be that that nurse could be in that ICU environment or the clinician will be in that environment for a number of hours, two, three, four hours, five hours. Um, so uh, needs it needs obviously to be comfortable, needs to needs to be tolerable for a number of hours I think to just capture everything absolutely and so I've now got this vision 
of HUDs that can work, of areas that could cover. They each have their own additional benefits and they each have their own complexities in relation to the amount of time. And I've seen from that discussion we just had then, Anesthet is doing very highly viral load risky work in a shorter period. might be slightly different to a ICU nurse who's going to be doing that over eight hours, but it's still within the same ballpark. But there may be different designs for different needs, I could think specification-wise. If you were talking to the design community about this, um, I guess some of the considerations are how these things get through, how they get through quickly, who they get to. What's the risk of this not being available for a month's time? If we were a month ahead and this didn't exist, where where might we be? Um, so it may be that we have um, we have exposed a whole batch of healthcare workers in a month's time to to viral loads and to secretions that um, that then may result in uh, some harm coming to those individuals um, but of course the, the other the other very important aspect to this is that that if if there are bits of face or neck that are exposed that of course is can be transmitted to the rest of the hospital so if you have a system whereby at the moment, for example, you, so for example, you can imagine that we go into, a, go into an area and undertake our procedure and as a droplet hits the side of my cheek or my ear. I'm, I do all of my donning and my doffing perfectly. So I take that off, I take everything off, but I've still got this, this uh, viral particles on my ear or my face or my neck. I then come out of that, I wash my hands, I do everything perfectly. I then may perhaps just touch that, as you do, you often touch your head and neck and face. Then that can get transmitted to me, and then that can be transmitted to patients as well. So it's, it's a, um, it's the, the, I think there's a risk potentially to patients, and I think there's a risk to healthcare professionals as well um, from this. As, in terms of quantifying that risk, I can't give you a number. I don't know what that is. I don't know, um, and I don't think anybody knows. There just seems to be a subtle difference in healthcare professionals either not uh, developing COVID nineteen and some developing COVID nineteen. So it seems like there is a there are people out there like Gap making gowns and scrubs at the moment. Effectively, there are people out there focusing on ventilators and respirators like the F one teams. It seems to me that the F one teams might have a lot to say in relation to this because they're my my push in relation to this afterwards would be to get people who can then spread this message to as wider providers as possible. We've in talking doing a similar kind of thing around visors. We've seen a lot of demand there, but we've seen some considerations and some. Uh, confusion in the rules are relaxed, not relaxed, where they have to go through certain certifications. Obviously, with ventilators, they do, but with PPE, it's been a little bit less clear. Could you say what, if if people are out there creating designs, what would you like to see to be able to test these, to be able to get them through to your hospital? Where are the barriers that people maybe don't consider that they may need to consider if they were creating such a design and getting it out there? I'm, I'm not sure that there will be barriers, actually, in terms of, in terms of um, adoption. So if if I, if I, as an individual, have a choice between not having something protected and having some protection, as long as in the process of doffing that material, I'm not exposing myself to more risk, then I think you have enhanced the level of protection. Um, so it's, uh, it's, 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 I mean, it's, it's clear, isn't it? If you have somebody that has exposed areas and somebody who doesn't, then you're probably gonna have less risk if you don't have protection. As long as in the process of taking that off, you're not exposing uh, uh, and contaminating in the doffing process. So that's the key here, I think. Um, I can't imagine that 
uh, I mean, the reality is that m much of the PPE equipment, uh, as long as it sort of ticks the relevant um, um, boxes in terms of its level of protection, uh, there are very wide variations in what people are doing already. Mm -hmm. So some people, for example, um, are, are putting on uh, uh, hats that have uh, that are designed for beards that have this structure that you can wrap over and tie up. So they're, they're designed for for metal surgeons who have a beard when they're operating to cover up their beard. Uh, and that, I think, is a, it's going to be a better level of protection than not having that. But I don't know whether taking that off increases your uh, exposure and cross-contamination in the doffing process. Something is better than nothing as long as it doesn't uh, create a problem in the doffing process. Is there any consideration with, I know a lot of surgical equipment has been used here, and I'm guessing surgical equipment primarily is to stop the surgeon giving anything to the patient who is being operated on, as opposed to, in this case, really it's sort of the other way around. Is there any difference in relation to garment design that works in th with those considerations? Not that, not that I'm aware of. I mean, you, really, you want something, obviously, that's waterproof. So you want some waterproof coating on it so it doesn't get saturated. Other than that... If you look around various hospitals, there'll be various different types of gown that they're using from different manufacturers. There, there will be a set criteria that exists nationally to say that it has to fulfill X amount of waterproof uh, durability and it has to go through various other procedures. But no, I, don't, I think waterproof, waterproof and no exposure on doffing and then comfort would be the next thing. The, 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 those the first two things take priority. I mean, in terms of you're, you're absolutely right in terms of in terms of masks and resp respirators, as it were. So all surgical masks are there just that their only aim or their principal aim is to prevent the operator contaminating the operative field. Whereas all of these devices, whether they be FFP1, FFP2, uh, N95s, FFP3s, which obviously have different levels of protection. They're all designed to protect the individual that's using them, so the healthcare professional. They're designed to stop airborne material droplets getting into our lungs as opposed to uh, surgical masks that are designed to uh, protect the patient from, uh, from, from, from uh, the operator's exposure. So there's a very clear design challenge there that we need to cover the face areas that are currently exposed. Uh, and we'll get that out to the design community and say, how might we best do that and deliver that if you had a magic wand and we could do something uh, that would get people to support what would you wish for so i've spoken to many of my colleagues around all of this and um the, the i think if we if we could i think as an undergarment as it were um we would prefer a boiler suit type device uh, a garment so that that's just our base level so we put that on, everything is covered. We have exposure here um, underneath, which is our FFP3 mask. It's sort of elasticated, so it kind of keeps the seal and it has some waterproof uh, and it has waterproof ca capabilities. And then on top of that, we'd be putting other things. So that would be, I think for most of us, when we've discussed it, that would be something that we think is sensible. That, that may not be realistic. The next level would be either a, a hood type device that then covers this area as well, and then comes down and covers covers down to the sort of uh, the, the chest area. So that would be either supplementary to or in place of a standard hat that we would wear. So that would be our, our first layer. And then we're layering on top of that a goggles or a mask or a visor uh, and an FFP3 mask. 
actually the FOP through mask would, depending on where the holes are, would either go underneath it with the mask coming over it, or uh, so that the seal is so that the seal is adequate. Brilliant. Does that make sense? It makes total sense. Yes, absolutely. Um, it seems to be a design challenge that hasn't been responded to yet. I know people are considering these things but maybe this has slipped the net a little bit just a little bit like the side of the face that is visible to people who are slipping the net and catching covid on the side in some critical care environments um thank you so much for coming on the podcast this morning is there anything else you would like to add before we wrap up today no, I, I've got, I think um uh, it may be helpful and and, and, and it's, uh, as in all these things an image uh, cuts through everything can I, uh, do you want to, should I share a screen and just show you the image of what I'm talking about? Yeah, please do. And also then if you'll send that to me, when we put this podcast live up and on our website, you'll be able to see that visual there. If you're not looking at it on Spotify or on, on on iTunes, you'll be able to go to the site and see that image that will be there. There is no, as far as I'm aware, there's no National Archive and Guidance on this. Uh, so PPE is very sensible and all the things are correct. We just think that it would be nice to cover this thing as well. Yes. Well, not nice. We think it's important to cover this bit. <laughs> it's the missing part of the jigsaw, potentially. Exactly, yeah, exactly. I mean, it seems illogical to us that you go through all of this, you get close to somebody when you're trying to intubate them, try to do a procedure right close to their face, they're high viral load secreting, yes. and you've got this exposed area. Come just up. seems illogical. Um, and and how, we, how we plug that hole, I guess, uh, down to you. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, we will get this out there. Uh, and then if you forward it around everyone you know, and then we'll get it to the people and get them to forward it and share it and, and, and see where we go from there. It's probably the, it's the, the fastest way to get it to people who could come back with some sure. answers. Sure. It's just in terms of final messaging. Yeah. Uh, one, protection, cover. And two, uh, c- cannot, um, cannot expose us in the doffing process to contamination. So That's the key. key. Full coverage. And then the doffing process is the critical part. Shouldn't be compromised. Shouldn't be compromised. Yeah. Excellent. Um, okay. Super cool. Uh, stay safe. Thank you for all your hard work. And carry on out there. You're doing brilliant work for us all. Appreciate it. And speak soon. Okay. Great stuff. Great. Cheers, Matt. Thanks, Thanks very now. much for doing this. It's very important. Thank you. It's a real pleasure. Bye. Cheers. Bye now. So that was Professor Anil Patel, consultant anaesthetist at the Royal National Throat, Nose and Ear Hospital at UCLH in London. It's great hearing about the specific design challenge around the areas of the head that are not protected with current PPE and we'll put that out to others in the design community, particularly those in Innovate UK and the KTN perhaps um, as a starting point. Uh, to start a design challenge so we'll get in touch with you via this podcast Um, and afterwards if you know people who can pick up the ball here and run with it uh, please do get in touch if you'd like to come on the podcast and you have a specific area of speciality or an interesting story about COVID-19 just as we've covered today contact me hello at weare10.co.uk Stay safe out there. Thank you for following us on the podcast, on Spotify and on iTunes. And thinking of you all, um, until the next time on the podcast, goodbye.